Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. We are continuing this series in the book of Mark. Really, we're continuing this series as we look at the life of Jesus. And, it, and here, here's what I know about Jesus. He is incredibly challenging. As you read his words, as you, as you catch his spirit, he is challenging. I was just talking to someone um, before the, after the last service. What's wonderful about Jesus is he, he confronts us and hugs us at the same time. He like cuts us and heals us at the same time. And so we continue to take steps further in our journey and that we have the word of God that speaks to us in very powerful, powerful ways. And so when we, when we, when we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we, we begin to see him call people and to say, hey, follow me, hey, follow me. And people start following him. And so, but today, I particularly want to talk about this one area that many times we, maybe we don't talk about much in church because it makes us a little uncomfortable. But as we come to the passage today, which is just right on the heels of last week's passage, where they, they lowered the man in from the roof and Jesus healed him and set him free, and which was an amazing, amazing story. But this week, right after that, we're going to pick up in verse 13. We left off at verse 12 last week, and we come into this whole idea. If this statement right here that Jesus is the friend of sinners. How many are grateful that Jesus is a friend of sinners? Okay, good, because you were one before you got saved. And I, I know people say, listen, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by, saved by grace. No, you were a sinner. You've been saved. Now what's, you are what's called a saint. You may not always act like a saint, but your identity doesn't change. You are saved and you are a saint. That's what, that's what the scripture calls you to be. So here's the reality. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He befriends the most wretched, the most what we would call disgusting, those who are outcast. Jesus, as we read him, he befriends them. He becomes friends with them. But there's a purpose and a motive of why he does it. And so let's step into this story. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Mark chapter 2, starting verse 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And it's important, this Levi person is actually somebody we know, and I'll tell you about who he is. Follow me, said two words, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, so something happened. He said, follow me. And Levi was like, you got it, man. Let's throw a party and have dinner immediately. This is what happened. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. That's why Jesus came. That's his whole purpose. But here we have Jesus calling these 
these people, this, this man, Levi. And let me, let me tell you this a little bit about Levi, just in case you don't know about who, who, he, who he is. The reason why what's going on here in this passage is that back in those days, you could become a tax collector. Levi was, he was, he was an, an Israeli. He was Jewish. Rome had occupied the country of Israel, and you could buy into a franchise to work for the Romans. And what that meant is, is you had to collect taxes for them. And so they set up a booth, and so you had to, that's what people came and paid taxes. And normally at those booths, you had Roman guards to demonstrate this is a Roman type of operation. But Levi was a Jew, so they didn't like him. Because he was collecting money. Not only that, they didn't like him because here was the deal. Here was the franchise deal. Listen, we, if you have to collect $20, and that's, what, that's your quota you got to reach. If you collect 40 from them, you get to keep the other 20. So that's why they didn't like tax collectors. Because they were crooked. They were a little slimy. They, they, you know, they, I don't, I don't, they just knew it, and they didn't like them. And so there was always this, this tension. And here Jesus walks up to this man. And he begins to call him out. And he begins to, he, he begins to, to, to meet with him. And so the lessons I want us to learn from the true servant king Jesus is this first lesson out of this passage. Number one, Jesus calls and uses unlikely people. Jesus calls and uses unlikely people. And so Levi, this is what I love about it, Jesus changed his name. To Matthew. And Matthew is the one who wrote one of the most descriptive gospels that we have, beautiful writer. But, uh, but when, you know, I was reading some commentary, it says, when, when Levi left everything from the table, from the tax collector, he did take his pen because he began to write about all the works of Jesus. And he changed his name to Matthew. What I love about what the name Matthew means is it means disciple. So Jesus changed his identity is from one that people didn't like, one that people hated for, for the right reasons, into you are now my disciple, you, be, you belong to me. He was a despised tax collector. And so here Jesus calls this, this unlikely candidate to be a follower of him. And so here, here, if you want to just step into, the, step into the story, here Jesus is. He's been healing. He just, he just healed this par paralytic. Someone ripped the roof off of a house, and he healed this man. And then he went on and walked up to the booth. And because tax collectors, they were truly hated by the Jewish people. As he walked up to the table, there had to be the people who were following, walking around watching Jesus, thinking this, listen, Jesus is going to give him a little piece of his mind. He's going to call him out right here. Oh, watch this, boys. Check this out. And Jesus walks up to the guy that nobody likes, and he says, Levi, I want you to follow me. He chooses him. He handpicks him. He, he shows value in him. And all of a sudden, the, the narrative changes. And the Bible says this, that Matthew got up and he followed Jesus, and he did it instantly. He left it all behind. He left his career behind. He said, Roman guards, get the heck out of my way. I'm following this true servant, Jesus. He didn't say, let me think about it. He didn't say, let me, let me, finish, let me finish up writing the books. He didn't say, let me tie up some loose ends. He left everything and followed Jesus. And this is who Jesus chose. Out of all the people... And all of Israel that Jesus should have, could have chose, he chose him. And here's what I love about this is that Jesus is still calling Levi's today to come and follow him. Amen. 
He's still calling people that most people would overlook. He's still calling the church to reach people that most churches would overlook. That's the challenge for us today is the reality is this. Thank God someone, someone saw something in me or in you and called you to follow Jesus. But now after we've followed Jesus, we don't reach out to those that used to look like us. Because we forget. We forget what our life actually used to look like. And what Jesus is showing us today that he is a friend of sinners. That's the whole purpose of why he came. That's the whole purpose of why he, he gave his life for the church, why he established the church, so that we could carry on his mission and accomplish what he came to accomplish. And so Matthew left everything, and, he's, and God is still calling us to come and follow him, whether you followed him for 20 years of your life or you don't know him yet today. There is still the call from God, from Jesus, keep following me. I've got more for you. Don't stop on the journey. And when you think about the, the makeup, let's just think about for a second, of the 12 disciples, you discover Jesus had an eclectic group of guys around him, didn't he? They, they were like all over the place. I mean, you, I would have thought, come on, you, they should have, why, Jesus, why didn't you give them a strength finder's test first and then you'd know who to pick? But he had some fishermen with him. He had farmers. He had a disciple called Simon the Zealot. You know what, you know what that literally translates as? Simon the Terrorist. <laughs> That was, that, that was one of Jesus' disciples, Simon the terrorist. And the zealots, actually, just to explain it real quick, it was the group of insurgents, actually, called zealots, who carried out random acts of violence against the Romans at the time. So he had Levi, or which was called Matthew, a Roman agent, Simon the terrorist, all on the same team. In addition, he had he had chosen Judas, who was a wolf in sheep's clothing, and, and he, had, he had this huge variety of people that he called to follow him. On paper, these guys would not have cut it. They wouldn't have qualified. We would have said, no way, I don't think so. But that's the wonderful thing about, about Jesus, and thank God for it even in our own lives that he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. And that's the beauty of the call of Jesus Christ. But that's what we need to remember as the church, is that Jesus calls unlikely people. You ever ran into someone and you said something like this? Man, they'd make a good Christian. That's what you think. they make a good Christian. Or you run into someone and you're like, there ain't no way they're ever going to get saved. That's probably the one Jesus is going to call. I don't know why Jesus does things that way. That's just how he is. Remember, God has called us, though, to love people, to love those that don't look like us, to serve those that aren't like us. And this is the teaching of Jesus. The, the, the sole purpose of him calling you is to then carry out his mission that he carried out through his son to reach the lost and make disciples. That is it, my friends, of why we exist on this earth. Bring glory to him, but the sole mission and purpose is to reach the lost and make disciples. And I will say this, none of us in this room were qualified. 
but he called us anyway. Because he saw things in you that you didn't see yourself. He saw things about your life that he thought, you know what, I can do something with that pain. A lot of times we, our pain, oh, God, God, the pain of my past is so much or the mistakes of my past is so much. And he's like, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry. You're right. It, the pain is real. The past is real. But if you'll give it to me, I can do something amazing. And that's the beauty of the call of Jesus. Paul, later when he was in, in Corinth and he planted a church in Corinthians, or in, in Corinth, was writing the Corinthians, letting them know of the type of people that God calls. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love this. Paul says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think about what, about what you were. In other words, you need to remember where you came from. You need to remember that. Not many of you were wise by human standards. <laughs> Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the, des and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may, may boast before him. This is the beauty of this passage. In other words, God's saying this, that, uh, Paul's saying this, God loves to choose people that will say, God, if you just use my life and, and, and you do whatever you want through my life, he says, I'll take that. Because God likes to choose people that, that he can get the most glory through. If you choose someone who's got it all together, and God does choose people that way. But I really believe he likes to choose the lowly things. That's what we just read. The weak things, he says, give it to me, I'll make it strong. The broken past, give it to me, I'll make you whole. The abuse of my past, give it to me, and I'll use you to reach those who have been abused. Whatever it may be, God says, I will take you and I will use you if you will just give your life to me. So what I love this whole thing, it says, not by human standards, God never chose anyone. So this is for many that we need to think of just for a minute is this. You know what? Because so many times we disqualify ourselves. We say, Jason, I, I'm just ordinary. I'm just normal. I, I've got nothing. I, I'm just, just who I am. I don't have anything. I, I don't have any strengths. I don't have, I'm sorry. This is just who I am. Just so you're aware. Just so you know this. If you think I'm just an ordinary person, God can't use me. Just please hear me. That's the only type of people God makes is ordinary people. You were born ordinary. You had nothing about, you were born, yes, you were, you, you were unique in, in how God shaped you, but you were born ordinary. There's nothing special about you. The Bible says that God chose the lowly and despised thing so that no one may boast before him. That, so that you can't do something for God and say, well, it's all because of me. You might think, well, well, thanks a lot, Jason. I thought it was extraordinary. You're not. You're natural. You're human. You're born into a, a broken system, world, full of sin. But... When you give God your ordinary lives, 
He does something extraordinary with you, and he can do it through you. When you give God your natural life, he will do something supernatural through you. That's what God loves to do. That means that every single one of us in this room, can, God can use us to do extraordinary things, supernatural things. Listen, all of us are unlikely candidates. And what the enemy likes to do is tell you how bad you are, how bad your past is, what a failure you are. Well, you should have done this, and, and you're, you, should have, you should be here by now, and your marriage should be stronger, and your kids should be better. And, you're, and so you just keep, okay, I'm nobody, I'm nothing. Your finances should be more in order. You're right, I'm just, I'm, uh, listen, listen. God can use anyone. All of us are unlikely candidates to be called by God, but he picked us anyway because he sees in you what you can do through him. You, you got, I, let me just share with you for just for a second. Let's look at those that God picked throughout Scripture. Let's just, just listen. God picked Noah. Noah was a drunk. Moses couldn't speak well. Jeremiah was depressed. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Abraham was too old. David was a murderous adulterer. Samson had Fabio-like hair and uh, was a womanizer. <laughs> That's funny. You're right. Rahab was a prostitute. Zacchaeus was too little. Jacob was a conniving little deceiver. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Paul had a horrific, murderous past. Jonah ran from God. Elijah had an actual mental meltdown. The Samaritan woman had two, so many divorces she could hardly count them. Leah wasn't pretty enough. Joseph was abused by his family members. Timothy was too young. Too, too young. And here's the kicker. Lazarus was dead. So don't tell me God doesn't use unlikely people. The second thing we learn, second lesson we learn from the true servant king is number two. He opens his life up to those who are outcasts. The first thing that Levi or Matthew did was throw a party and invite Jesus. He was so excited. He had found Jesus. He called me. He gave me purpose. He, he, he called me into his life, and, and now I'm going to follow him. This, I mean, I'm going to celebrate. I mean, then he threw his own, like, like, baptism party, his own salvation party. Like, hey, I got saved. Come, let's party. And he invited his friends. But I think the purpose was, listen, listen, this man, Jesus, spoke to me. He said, follow me. Something changed on the inside of my life. Come over to my house, buddies. I got, you got to know, you got to meet this Jesus. And so Jesus comes to this party that, that Levi's hosting, and there's music, and it's, and it's fun, and, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. And that's what I love about the party. That's, that's what I love about the scripture. It was a party. And Jesus was right in the middle of it, enjoying himself. A lot of people think that Christianity is this sober, solemn, straight-laced experience, and that if you smile too much, you, you probably have sin in your life. That's really what's going on. They think that Christianity is something you have to endure. You, you got to carry it. 
Listen, Jesus said this, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. Jesus showed us through his life that that when we get saved, we have the opportunity to have the most happiest, joyous, abundant experience in life that that could be lived on this earth. In other words, a Christian life, it is a feast, it's not a funeral. And that's what he invites us to. And Jesus opens his life to people that many of us would not open our lives to. There's rejoicing when the lost come to know Jesus Christ. We see it in, this, in, we see it in the party. We see it as Jesus there. Le- Levi just got saved, man. Levi just put his trust in Jesus. Levi just left everything behind and started following him. Listen, when someone gets saved, we're not the only ones who should rejoice. You need to know this. Heaven is rejoicing when someone gets saved. Luke 15 says this. Says there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Listen, that's why. So, so why? Why? It doesn't say that, that angels rejoice over anything else. Because this was this is why Scripture says that Jesus was the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth, because God sent His Son to save mankind. So that they could spend eternity with him. This is about intimacy with him. And he knows now he gets to spend eternity. The angels now know, yes, now, now we get to be with them forever. They're part of our family. Now we get to celebrate with them. We get to help them. We get to serve them. We, we, we get to interact with them. We get to protect them. We, now, now we have ministering angels. Go minister to them. Go take care of them. Watch over them. That's, that's what's happened. That's why we celebrate here. That's why it means so much to us as a church when the lost get saved because we're carrying out the purpose of why Jesus came to the earth. When you read the life of Jesus, you, you, you see that he reached those or reached out to those that the religious people wouldn't reach out to. Levi invited his fellow tax collectors and other sinners to the party. Matthew, or Levi, hosted this supper for sinners. I want you to meet Jesus. Here's a question. Do you have a burden to introduce your friends to the Jesus that you met and you know? Do you have a burden? You said, Jason, I, I, listen, I've tried, I've tried bringing them to the church. They're not coming to church. I understand that. Will they come to your house? Why don't you try maybe using your house as a safe place to invite people for a meal, build a relationship. Invite, invite several people to your house. Just hang out. Hey, come on. We just, we'd love to have a meal for you. Listen, don't call. Hey, come on. We're going to have a supper for sinners. Come join us. It'll be great. Don't do that. (laughs) For you small groups, throw throw a block party. Invite invite the whole block. You you don't have to force the gospel down their throat. Build relationships with them. Show value to them. Show that that you care for them. Give them some good food. Don't give them cheap food. Give them good food. Just bring them in. Just say, hey, hey, before we eat, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Pray for the food. God, thank you for our friends who joined us today. Amen. That's what you got to do. 
Invite God to be present. And then, in the, and then you have conversations. And, and, and please, at those moments, talk about your love for Jesus. Tell them what God's done in your life. Tell them how much you love your church. Tell them how much you love your small group. But be real. Be tactful. Have fun. Let them know that you can be a Christian and have fun too. Let them know that. And if you can't have fun, don't show up, okay? <laughs> yes, you are to be wise with your families. You've got to be careful nowadays. I get it. But be interested in the lost people in your life and be intentional and reach out to them. You think, well, Jason, can we do that? I mean, can, can we really reach out to people that, that, that aren't saved? Yes, that's why you're on this earth. But what if, what if we, you know, what, I, what if we fa face criticism? What if, what if, I, what, you know, what, what if one of them is, is a gay married couple and they show up, love them and tell them about Jesus? Well, what, well, what, what, if, what, what if they're an addict? Love them and tell them about Jesus. Love them, serve them, reach those that the religious groups won't touch. Oh, no, 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 we're, no, we're too, no, sorry, can't, uh-uh. And Jesus Set the example, we're to reach them. Now listen, we're to reach them with the purpose of bringing them to Jesus Christ. You can just love people, love people, love people, love people. That's for me, that's, that's, one, of my, that's one of my pet peeves. And, and, and I, I, I get, yeah, we need to love people. But if your motive is not loving people so that you can share truth with them, then, then listen, you can love people straight to hell. I mean, they, they can die and go to hell, and you never said one thing to them. Yeah, but I love them. Listen, if it's all love, no truth, they, you, you, they'll go to hell. All truth, no love, they'll never listen to a thing that you have to say. It's the balance, the tension, and love and truth, love and truth, love and truth. That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we do what we do. But G Jesus faced criticism. Luke chapter 7 says this, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you said, and he's speaking to the religious types, he said, he has a demon. The son of man, he's speaking of himself, Jesus speaking of him, came eating and drinking. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of the tax collectors and the sinners. Another, in other words, no matter what you do, you're going to get criticized. Welcome to being a Christian. No matter what you do, you're going to get criticized. Who cares about the criticism? All I care about is one day I'm going to stand before my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to say, I gave it all I had, and I did it for you. That's all I care about. I reached as many as I possibly could. I did. I, I ran in the lane, God, that you called me to run in. And I did my best, and I left it all out on the field. I'm not going to care about the critics. Listen, who cares? Billy Graham said this. He said, listen. He said, uh, you can wrestle with a critic, but wrestling with a critic is like wrestling with a pig. Only one of you is going to enjoy it, and it's not going to be you. <laughs> just, just, just do your thing. Love people. Represent Jesus well. And number three, lessons that we can learn from the true servant King Jesus. This is one of the lessons is this, is that really it's more of a statement. Jesus has the most difficulty with those who are self-righteous. 
And this is an issue that the Lord, the Lord has always been dealing with, I believe, in the church. Self-righteousness. In other words, my works make me better than you. Let's just for a second, let's just walk into Levi's party. Let's just see what's, what's going on. So you walk in and there's laughter, there's music, smell of great food going on, some falafels, some great hummus happening, some kebabs that are sitting there flipping on the, on the charcoal grill. Getting, every once in a while I get little wafts of some lime juice that they're sprinkling, that they're spraying over it, you know. They got some fresh pita just coming out of the oven. You guys hungry yet, you know? Just, okay, all right. I want to see if I could do it. So I did. I made you hungry. That was neat. And you walk in and lots of conversation. Levi's like, man, Jesus came and he, he, he caught me. So Levi, you're not a tax collector? Anymore. No, I'm not. I'm a follower of Jesus. So you, you don't, you, you're not living that lifestyle? No. I live my life however he tells me to live it. He's my teacher. He's my rabbi. Jesus is the center of attention because Levi is making him the center of attention. He's, Jesus is telling stories just like he always did. He's, he's just he's building relationships. He's building trust with the purpose of revealing to them that he is the Messiah. He's probably around politicians, prostitutes. They're laughing. Meanwhile, outside the door, there's a some religious snobs got their arms crossed. I can't believe this. Now, remember, Jesus was a rabbi, so they didn't like him. And they were the self-appointed righteous police. You ever been around a self-appointed righteous police? They've been following Jesus. They've been looking for opportunity to criticize him. See it all over online, man. There, I tell you, there's so many church experts online that have never pastored a church in their life. Boy, they, they sure do know a lot. They sure do know a lot about people, and they've never worked with people. These are these guys. And this is what Jesus says about the self-righteous. And this can be a challenge to some of us today. There's a book that, that's out there, and I would challenge you to get it. It's called a, it's, um, it's called a, a, re, a Recovering Pharisee. And it's the journey of coming out of legalism in your own heart. This is a journey for me in my own life and, and just had some of the upbringing that I, brought, I was brought up in, the type of church I was brought up in. And it was all about works and all about what you, what you couldn't do. It wasn't about that I have, a, I have an opportunity to have an intimate relationship with God. It was about, no, no, you earn your way into that intimate relationship with God through what you do and what you don't do. But this is what Jesus says about these self-righteous people. He says, you're blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. In other words, you, you, you've got it all wrong. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of your cup and dish, but the inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. In other words, you look great. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of the bones of the dead, and everything is unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, 
but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus had a problem with self-righteous people. These are the same guys with, as you heard the message last week, that were standing in the way of the four guys taking the paralytic to Jesus to be healed. They were the ones that said, listen, I can't. He just said he, just said he could forgive them of his sins. He's a blasphemer. There's no way he can be the Messiah. And now they're saying there's no way he can be the Messiah because he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. But Jesus, all through his ministry, everything he said, he said he came to the earth for the same reason a doctor spends his time in a hospital. Jesus came to help sinners. Jesus came to help you. Jesus came to reach you. Jesus came to keep helping you. There's a disease in our world. And I'm telling you, I sense it deeply in my spirit. We're coming into a season of great opposition and great revival at the same time. I, I, I really believe it. There, but, but you need to know there is a disease that's sweeping it seems faster and faster. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just what it seems like. Sweeping the globe, sweeping our nation. That's ruining people's lives. It's causing destruction to people's minds and hearts. Their, their, their very flesh, it is corrupting. And they, in, in turn, are inflicting abuse and hurt on other people. There's a, there's a disease worse than cancer, more debilitating than MS, and it's a spiritual sickness called sin. And Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. He came to deal with the sin. And Jesus was full of love. He was full of grace. And he, he resisted the religious. He resisted the self-righteous. He resisted them. And I believe that he resisted them because, one, they were concerned about their image more than their hearts. They were, they were more interested in how much knowledge they had than how much, how close they were to the Lord. They were, they were, all, they were always about, yes, but I know more than you. They were not concerned about growing closer to God. You can see it a lot in church. Maturity doesn't have to do with information. It has to do with your closeness to the king. I've been around some people who walked with Jesus for 30 years. And I've been around people who walk with Jesus for three years. And on many occasions, the person who's walked with Jesus for three years is way more spiritually mature than the person who's walked with Jesus for 30 years. Because somewhere along the way, it became about image, became about information. I'm smarter than you. I know the Bible more than you. Okay. There's the old saying, you know the principles, but you obviously don't know the prince. 
You know, you, you, you know the words, but you don't know the author. And I believe it's an examination in all of our lives. This is something I have to do often in my own life. God, am I self-righteous? Is there any area that I, that I think that somehow I've, I've taken, well, well, this is because of me. No, it's because of your grace. And when you hear these challenges from Jesus' life, part of it is this, we think this, you know what, Jason, I don't, I don't have the love to give. I get it. No, I get it. But let me tell you where that love comes from. It doesn't, it doesn't come from, from the works of doing it. Here's the answer. Start by intimately loving Jesus more. Start by just being in his presence. Start by beginning to know his heart. Let his heart transform your heart. Begin a closer relationship with him. Repent of your self-righteousness. Run to Jesus. Repent that you've elevated yourself over other people as being more holy, more righteous, more prophetic. Humble yourself. And then all of a sudden, from the closeness of your heart with his, it will begin to be shown to the people around you. And the reality, in, in, for all of our lives, for all of us who are followers of Jesus, when you, me, when we begin or stop being the object of our affection and Jesus begins to be, to be the object of our affection, everything in our life will change. Life will no longer be about our position. It will be about our passion for him. It won't be about what you do for work and how that gives you identity. It'll be about whatever you do, you do it in worship to him. It won't be about how you look on the outside. It'll be about how you love those who are around you. It won't be about what you know. It'll be about that you are known by God and he knows your name and being his son or his daughter is enough to get you through the worst day that you'll ever face. It's about knowing the true servant king that came to serve you. And as you know him, you begin to serve others. Some questions for us this morning. First question is this, and you can just answer it just in your own heart and own mind. Are you disqualifying yourself from being used of God because you can't forgive yourself of the past? You can't see anything good in you. It's just too much. It's, 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 you've, you've placed a scarlet letter on your, on your life that said, never, never be good enough. Yeah, you can be saved, but God can never use you. If that's you, then you need to receive the love and forgiveness of God today. And you need to recognize you're just like one of the disciples. He sees things in you that you don't see yourself. Let him call him out of you. Second question, do you disqualify people in your heart and your mind and give up on them because you know about something in their past and you can't let go of it? Okay, maybe Jesus has forgiven them, but 
they're still unworthy. If you struggle with that, we're going to take some time. You're going to ask the Lord to forgive you and to give you his heart towards the hurting and broken people in your life. Question number three, do you open your life to people that others would call outcasts? What's the purpose? Why, why would you do that? This is why. You open your life to people to the, that the religious people call outcasts for this purpose, to lead them to Jesus. If it's not your purpose, what will happen is you will end up being deceived. You open your life to outcasts, to those that wouldn't be accepted in the religious community. But you do it with the purpose of bringing them to Jesus. Reach out to your neighbors. Have a barbecue. Throw a block party with your small group. Love them well. Speak well of Jesus. Speak well of the church. Question number four. When we talk about reaching the lost and the broken, is your first reaction, yes, but we need to be cautious. If that's what you felt, that's the Holy Spirit revealing that he wants to deal with something inside of you. When we talk about reaching the lost, the heart of Jesus is, yes, I came to seek and save the lost. Let's go get them. Let's reach them. Our world is lost. Our world is broken. There is no hope, my friends. You can do as much moral reform as you possibly can. And my whole heart, and my whole, my, my whole passion of my life is I've committed to make Jesus' last command. Before he ascended, he said, go in all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. Reach the lost, make disciples. Reach the lost, make disciples. I want his last command to be our church's first priority. Reach the lost, make disciples our first priority. And I want it to be our first priority in our lives as we follow Jesus. I want it to be our church's first priority is to fulfill Jesus' last command. And I believe God wants to do that in all of our lives today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.